it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season, and that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends, so make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by USAA Homeowners Insurance. USAA has homeowners insurance that could lead the league in assists. Serving our military veterans and their eligible family members, USAA delivers award-winning service and peace of mind. And if you file a claim, the process is transparent and easy, and you can do it all right in the USAA app. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin O'Burno! How are you doing today, man? I'm great. We are recording this after we have just watched an epic game one between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers take game one on the road in Boston behind an incredible performance by your guy, James Harden. Uh, This was turning back the clock to the, I I mean, I I, I don't even know what to say. It, that James Harden at that level, (laughs) this was, everybody was saying Houston Harden. It was like five wide. He's got the ball. And whether it was driving to the front of the rim and finishing at the rim, it was the step back threes. Like it was the whole arsenal from the MVP season. It was crazy. How about about the mid range? He was pulling up from the mid range in the first quarter more than he has ever since Oklahoma City. (laughs) Well, and here's the other thing, Kevin. What imagine that we're watching all of that take place and James Harden shot four free throws in the entire game. He was four for four from the free throw line. The 76ers didn't go to the free throw line until there was about five and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Just a really weird game. You know, you're watching it, and I think everybody had the same thought at halftime, which was what shot making we are watching. The Nobody's going to the free throw line. There was only two free throws in the first half. Celtics took two. 
The Celtics shot 74% from the field and 57% from three. And they were up by three at halftime. I mean, that's unfathomable. Now, meanwhile, you know, 76ers shot 55% and 58% from three. But just the fact that you could shoot 74% for a half as a team and you've got a three-point lead just speaks to how up and down this was and how nobody was getting any stops in this game. And I think they set a record for this season for 40 points in the paint in the first half did the Celtics. Just a lot of crazy stuff, like not not the typical playoff intensity that you would feel, certainly not the physicality that we are used to, especially maybe that we even expected, but the shot making in this game was just absurd, Kev. Well, I mean, of course, from Harden, you know, with his 45 scoring from every single level, Tatum as well, only five threes attempted, still goes off for 39. You know, Jalen Brown had himself a good game, Brogdon as well. You know, those those guys, Tyrese Maxey too. Um, I think you mentioned the intensity, Chris. You know, it's 119, 115, maybe more high scoring than you'd expect there. I thought Paul Reed played a really strong game for Philadelphia with his opportunities out there. 13 rebounds, four offensive, flying around, um, you know, stepping up for Joel Embiid. It's Those are the X-factor performances that Philadelphia is going to need, you know, assuming Embiid does come back for game two, um, even if he does having Paul Reed come off the bench will provide the energetic, you know, uh, presence that he does. That's what Philadelphia is going to have to have moving forward in the series once Embiid does return. Were you surprised at all that last game, last play call by Joe Missoula going to Marcus Smart to generate the shot instead of just going direct to Tatum or Brown? I mean, surely that was not what was intended to happen. <laughs> I can't believe that that would be what's intended to happen. You know, something probably got, I, I, I mean, they'll ask about it after the game. Um, let me just comment real quick on your Paul Reed thing. Nothing bigger than knocking down those four free throws. I mean, <laughs> game's on the line. Paul Reed's got to go, uh, you know, called into action, and he's got to hit four free throws. Uh, it turned out to ice that game for Philadelphia. That was crazy. And then uh, the other part was the fact that they they got away with outplaying with the MVP of the league, the leading scorer in the league. Um, it's all just so crazy. Like, I, I really, I, I am stunned at what we just watched, Kevin. Yeah, I really am. But, you know the, but the, this is, it's because of Harden, though, and, and what of he did. Harden looks like he had his burst, his explosiveness, his creation. We've seen him, we've seen him hit step, step back threes, but tonight he was doing absolutely everything. If Harden is performing at this level, it changes the way in which that we were uh, talking about this series with what could happen with or without Embiid, with, regardless of his condition. It changes absolutely everything if you're getting hardened at this level for what the Sixers could be at their peak. Well, they were getting a lot of switches onto Hor- Horford, which is what he was trying to get. And you've got to wonder, you know, you go back to the drawing board if you're Boston and 
your plan of attack is now we're playing against Houston Harden because I know you mentioned the we'll see on game two. I don't know if you saw Harden's walk-off interview with Ali LaForce, but he said, I was going to take those shots tonight. We're missing 30 points. I was going to take those shots tonight and either way, and then just hope for the best, right? Or like, uh, and he said, I'll have to do it again in game two. And I think the sentiment is Joel Embiid's not going to be available for two games at least. And I also think that now, I I I, I, I think we'd be assured that he's not going to play. Now that they got that one, that they stole home court. Now, that makes it a lot easier on Philadelphia to be able to set Joel Embiid for, uh, if it's even in question, that they can give him another game. A, with their performance yeah, in game that's one. That's a good point. You know? yep. And then they've got that one in the kitty. You know? They won that game. Great point. They don't have to bring him back. Yeah, maybe you decide, you know what, we'll give him a couple more days. Especially when it's every other day. You'd basically give him until Friday. Yeah. You know? And now you get full force and bead back for games three and four at your place. Um, Just a, a lot of big performances. You know, that first half, it was crazy because Harden was going off, but he had a running mate, and it is not who we would have expected. It's D'Anthony Melton. Yeah. yeah. You know, they get to halftime. Tatum and Brown have 42 points on 17 of 21 from the field. Harden and Melton have 38 points on 15 of 23 from the field. And Harden and Melton are 8 of 10 from 3 combined at half. And Tatum and Brown are 6 of 7 from 3 at half. I mean, it's just, honestly, like I, I, I'm just at a loss for words. I just did not expect this to play out the way that it did. And it was Houston Harden all the way down to the P.J. Tucker high screens that he's coming around, you know? Sure. It's yeah. like maybe a different group. Of, maybe it's George Niang and D'Anthony Melton and the other ones, you know, hanging out. Um, just some weird hey, weird stuff down the stretch from the Celtics too, Kev. Part of this, though, is like, isn't this a trend all year? Like, you know, Bill Simmons on his podcast all year long has been talking about how Joe Mazzola, you know, his flaws as a head coach, rotations, decisions, play calls, everything, all up and down the list, everything. We saw that in this game. Uh, we've seen the Celtics, you know, play with their food throughout the season, particularly in that first-round series against Atlanta, toying around. It felt like that again tonight in Game 1, which, again, that stems from coaching. It stems from leadership. Like, this Celtics team, they, they very well might win the series. They might beat the Sixers. They might come back from down 1-0 and go to the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami or New York, and they might win that and go to the NBA Finals again. But it is becoming increasingly hard to take this team seriously as the true finals threat over any of those West teams with what they're capable of doing and their experience levels and how locked in they feel compared to Boston with how sloppy they are with some of their turnovers, with some of the ball handling, the decision-making, the coaching. It's just a lot of foundational uh, uh, flaws that this Boston team has compared to some of the competition still remaining in the postseason. I got to tell you, the last time we did a pod, we were talking about how, like, you know, down the stretch, they just locked down on Atlanta. And then 
they just made winning play after winning play. It looked like a team that, like, it was like, man, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford. These guys have just logged so many playoff minutes together. They've been in so many different situations together. And then when it's time to crank up and get get it home, they can do it. And I actually yep. thought after the up and under from Smart that I was like, oh, wow, they're about to do this again after they got some offensive rebounds. And then it kind of felt like it started with the maxi block charge call, you know, and then it just fell apart. Andrew Callahan chronicled this. Celtics offense, the last 2.30, smart turnover, Tatum two for two free throws, Brogdon turnover, Horford layup, Brogdon missed three, Horford missed three, Tatum flailing missed layup, Brogdon missed pull up, Tatum missed end of shot clock three. I mean, it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess down the stretch. And then how about that? How about the throwing it to Maxi as the shot clock expires? Oh, that was, yeah. What the F? Just, yeah. just. Just sit on the ball. Just awful. Yeah. All, 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 of it was, all of it was so bad at the end of the game. Even even on that Brogdon turnover, Tatum, Tatum passes the ball to him with Ugh. 1.5 seconds left on the clock. Brogdon should have shot it right away, but Tatum put him in a tough spot. Like Tatum, Tatum gets the hockey turnover, right? Like his yep. hockey assist. He put Brogdon in a tough spot there, and you're right. Brogdon should have sat on the ball. And I just want to go back to that last play, Chris. It was 4.6 left. You said maybe you don't think it was designed for Marcus Smart. Oh, I'm not sure. But Brogdon went right into him, though. It was a post-up for Smart on Harden, and he went straight to him. There was no other action on the floor. It was a Smart post-up, I felt. And then Smart drove, and, I mean, Tatum gets called for the foul, and I just think it was a horrible play call. That's what I felt. All of it was a mess. Boston... I mean, if Embiid comes back and looks, I mean, all all reports are everything I've heard, everything you you've read, feels like he's you know struggling to move, struggling to run, struggling to jog, um, worrisome there. Um, but if you get Embiid even at seventy five percent with Harden looking like one hundred percent, I mean, this Harden, um, and I don't know. Look, some people are saying, oh, well, he's had the nine days off, whatever. But, I mean, we've lived this. It's like he just doesn't have the same burst. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that, right? Sure looks and like it, it now. Oh, my God. I mean, you put the ball back in his hands, and it was like, now I'm back home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, now I'm running the show and, like, taking the shots, and it's like, space this thing out. And he was beating guys off the dribble. He was finishing above the rim. He was stepping back. I mean, it was just. That was unbelievable. Shocking. When is the last time we saw that Harden like that? It was a remarkable performance by Harden. It was. And obviously one, it was one of his, his better ones. Uh, career career best. Yeah. It was his best on playoff yeah, performance. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that we would have ever thought that in 2023 we were going to see James Harden's best playoff performance he's ever had. Yeah. Just remarkable. You know? Special. A lot of energy from Maxi, for sure. Maxi yep. was just flying up and down the court all the time. Like, he's just one of those guys that brings a lot of... Uh, and got to give Doc some credit. He's throwing together this roster without the uh, you know the leading scorer, the MVP, uh, and the presumptive MVP this year. And, you know, he's using some tricked-up defenses. They fall back into that zone for a big portion of the game. Um, and... Just kind of felt like they're throwing a bunch of stuff at. I thought some timely timeouts to not let things get away from them 
Yeah, Doc, Doc, Doc was very good. Very Doc good. Out, Doc out coach Missoula. I mean, it's it's a lower bar right now for a rookie head coach who was an intern just a couple months ago. Um, but Doc out coached him for sure. God bless. How many and uh, growing up there? How many crossover fans are there? How many people do you think were in that arena last night and then are in that arena tonight? Oh, a lot for sure. Awful. A whole lot. Yeah. Just so, I mean, do, what can you imagine? Oh my God, you just want to feel good about something, right? You're like, all right, yeah. I'm going to get that taste out of my mouth after that yeah. wicked Bruins loss. I it's know. Like, 3, three <laughs> 1 blown lead after a historic <laughs> regular season. It's kind of crazy in, in the NHL how often the team that wins the President's Trophy for best regular season they lose like first, second round. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a St. Louis Blues fan, and it happened a couple years ago. Yeah. But they didn't have the all time points and all that like, like the Bruins did. With a 3-1 Oh, lead. I know. Oh, crazy. crazy. And yeah, I mean, just imagine if you went to that arena two nights in a row. Yeah. You'd just be uncontrollably vomiting <laughs> the entire way back to your car. Like, I, I'm getting to go see the Celtics without Embiid. We're going to beat the crap out of Philly. Yeah. And then you, like, watch James Harden just burying step back three after step back three. All right, real quick. By the time, we'll, we'll obviously get to react to Wednesday uh, night's game, game two, by the time we do our show later in the week. You think Missoula just starts running two at him? You think he just does I the... Don't know. Dep- I depends mean, on Embiid. Depends on Embiid. Embiid ain't playing. Yeah, it depends. He ain't playing. I think that now, now I'd be shocked if he played because they were... Harden said that after the game and now they've already got one. They've got one win in the bank. Shocking. Shocking, truly shocking. Um, game one, Philadelphia, Boston. Who would have ever guessed it? The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash mismatch right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. On Tuesday night, I like the Lakers with the points on the road against the Warriors. And let's go with the Knicks to win the game with the money line over the Heat in that game, too. On FanDuel, there's a bunch of other ways to bet with same-game parlays. You could go with player props like points, rebounds, assists, and threes. There's exclusive FanDuel markets like Largest Comeback or Most Dunks. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to FanDuel.com slash mismatch and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. In Massachusetts, go to gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. 
In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Connecticut, call 1-888-789-7777. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. In Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In Wyoming, call 1-800-522-4700. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. All right, Kev, we got to talk about all these other series that have gone on, and not the least of which was one of the most amazing playoff performances in NBA history. Steph Curry's Game 7 against the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento took them to seven games, but I think that they're probably always going to look back at that Game 4, the missed shot, this was the chance to really take control of the series. And just as a fan, I know you end up looking back at the heartbreakers um, when you look back at a series on what might have been. And that game four, over the years. Yeah, right? And game four is going <laughs> to be that one that they look back on. Uh, but look, you get a game seven in your home arena. Unbelievable environment. And you ran up against one of the greatest basketball players of all time who performed better than he has ever performed in a spot like that. I mean, that just felt like they've got Steph Curry and you don't. And he just carried them to victory. Just unbelievable. It was, it was crazy to watch that unfold and how spectacular he was. I texted some friends around maybe middle of the second quarter, late second quarter, and I said, man, he might have to get a playoff career high today for them to win the game. And, you know, he gets the playoff career high, but they really didn't need the playoff career high. I mean, like they did, they needed 40, but they didn't need 50. Um, but <laughs> but to, see, to see Steph go off in the manner that, that he did, 50 points on 20 of 38, 7 of 18 from behind the arc, only one turnover. Only one turnover, Chris, when he posted, I looked this up on Second Spectrum, a career high in the Steve Kerr Warriors dynasty era. So since 2415, a career high, 300 and 704 dribbles, 374 dribbles. And he had only one turnover. Steph dribbled the ball more than he ever has in this entire era since game seven in 2016 against Oklahoma City when they completed the 3-1 comeback. For him to limit turnovers, to play with the pristine uh, decision-making that he did, never mind his efficiency and his all-world scoring from every level, I thought it was one of the best performances that I have ever seen in my entire life, considering the pressures that you're talking about in the road in that hostile environment of Sacramento. And I thought Bill Simmons brought this up with Ryan Russillo on his podcast on Sunday night they recorded together. Like, these are the types of games that, when you're talking individually, that cause a player to rise up the all-time rankings. Like, you pocket these. These are the moments. Like the game of Game 4 against Boston last year where Steph does this, man. Like, he was just absolutely unstoppable. It was, uh, it was one that I'm going to remember, you know, for a long, long time. As you mentioned, 20 for 38, 7 for 18 from 3. He attempted 18 three-pointers. I mean, you could go back 10 years and there are games. I mean, hell, we might see a game where the Phoenix Suns don't attempt 18 <laughs> <I> know, <yeah. laughs> in a game, you know, and he gets five of 16 out of Wiggins, 
four of 19 out of Clay Thompson. Uh, and he need that. He took those 38 shots and it was like, they need more of me. And he just delivered. And I'll tell you this, the most underrated factor in this series, in last year's Golden State Memphis series that I covered is Looney. Mm, the guy just, I mean, it is those extra possessions that he creates for your team. It is, your team has defended them, you have gotten your stop, and then you have to do it again. And you just play with fire every single time. So they take a long shot. They have some unbelievable, between Looney and Wiggins didn't have a ton of rebounds in this one, but he did have four offensive rebounds. Those two guys in the last two years have created that Warriors team so many extra possessions. And like I said, you're just playing with fire because now you're scrambling. After they catch that offensive rebound, they don't just throw it back out and slowly start an offensive set over. You're in scramble mode. And, you know, it's a weird deal. A lot of times back in the day, you would see offensive rebounders that are tremendous on, you know, they'll miss a bunny and then they'll grab the rebound. Or they're crashing the boards after somebody's going to the basket and they're just fighting for stuff. These guys are amazing long rebounders. Oh, yeah, tracking down those you boards know, like that are near the elbow, right inside the arc. Because it's a all jump that. shot, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, Wiggins is just, he, he's more athletic, and he's yeah. long, and he's flying to the ball. But they watch these jump shots, and they come off the rim. And now, again, you're giving them an extra possession. It's really, those feel so back-breaking when you are on the other side. And I know Mike Brown was just absolutely losing his mind over the offensive rebounding. But those two guys, man, um, and most importantly, Looney. I mean, look, that's 10 stops, theoretically, that you've gotten that you haven't gotten because of him. The guy has 10 offensive rebounds. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just relentless, Chris. I mean, he's, oh. it's it's one of the best rebounding performances in the series that we've ever seen. I mean, I forget, you know, what was it on, that they had on the screen? It was like the first time since like Wilt Chamberlain and Moses Malone that a player had three games in a series with twenty plus rebounds. I forget like the three players that were you know on that list, but this guy was just. I mean, we've talked about it throughout the series with him, like just how different he was at UCLA and in high school when he was a top recruit player. But to see this transformation as a talent and to the, just the, the brute force in which that he dominated Sabonis in this series, I felt like, you know, this Kings team, Chris, they had an amazing season. It was a big step forward. And there's a lot of good to feel about Sacramento's future with De'Aaron Fox and some of the guys on the roster, Keegan Murray stepping up and Malik Monk, they got a lot of great pieces. But what Kevon Looney did to, to DeMontis Sabonis is going to stick in my mind in the months ahead as the offseason approaches because 
Everything that worked with Sabonis over the course of the season as a great at-rim finisher, as a, a guy facilitating out of dribble handoffs, who was at least, you know, he was okay on defense. They involved him in every action when Sabonis was on defense. On offense, Looney completely limited him around the basket. He shot below 50% in multiple games. He was not nearly as effective around the rim. His lack of an offhand was apparent. You know, he's a very left-handed dominant player. It was apparent with the way Golden State, particularly Looney, was defending him. And just the way Looney just bullied him on the boards, it showed, like, it's another example. If you're a big man and you can't, if you can't switch, if you can't shoot, if you can't rebound, what do you, what's really the point? Well, I think that uh, two things here. Number one. Looney is a different player than he is during the regular season. I mean, this he guy, he averages nine rebounds a game. The guy's but, that, 20, but isn't that the point, right? Chris? Like, the oh. season is different than the playoffs. But this is the, the, and these are the trials of playing against somebody like the Warriors, okay? What happens when you're playing against them in many cases, and this is true for a lot of guys that are playing in that kind of pressurized environment for the first time. All of your weaknesses as a team and an individual can get exposed in the playoffs. Teams are now game planning against you. As you go through the regular season on one-off games, very rarely are teams putting together intricate game plans in order to focus on taking away what teams want to do the most. But they are when it comes to the playoffs, and they are the deeper you go into a series. And the trick is learning from that, right? Like, once upon a time, it's the first time through for Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, all those guys. Once upon a time, it's the first time through for, and you could go through a myriad of players in the past. And for Sabonis, I think now you go back and you go, all right, here's what happened. And if you're if you are truly one of the great players in the league, it's not able to happen to you again. You know, so this is a real learning experience for these guys. So this is a strike one, you think, for Simonis. That's strike what one. I believe. You're That's not, what I believe. But, but here, here's what I would say in response to that. Like, we've seen his limitations playing next to another big man in Miles Turner for mm -hmm. years in Indiana. We've seen him. It's not like he hasn't worked on his jump shot. He Like Oklahoma City, his rookie year, they had him shooting spot-up threes. He was okay at that. Indiana used to have him shooting more from the mid-range. He was okay at that. He's always, he, like, I think in his career, the number is slightly below 40% on mid-range jumpers throughout his entire career. So it's like, it's like this has always been a weakness for him. It was a weakness in, in this series that Golden State, like you said, weaknesses to get exposed. They sag off him anytime he has the ball at the elbow or deeper. He couldn't make him pay. He never has been a guy who can make them pay. We know his limitations as a defensive player. So offensively, if they're also limiting what you're best at, which is facilitating, with how well they were defending those DHOs, partially because of how they sagged off him, I just think the Kings have to at least, you know, think hard about where what is his place in our team? Uh, what can we do to improve our front court? and assure that we aren't just a successful regular season team and that we do continue making progress moving forward in the playoffs because they got to take advantage of the special talent that is De'Aaron Fox because as much as Sabonis, you know, caused doubt with who he is for me, Fox proved that he is indeed the guy. And like, you've okay, been high but Kev, on forever. Okay, but Kev, in fairness, all right, look, Sabonis is going to get beat up for this and he had a bad series. But Sabonis in game seven had 22, eight, and seven. 
All right. Darren Fox is the one that went five for 19. Like, yeah, I mean, and there's Fox. Fox is, has like a hurt finger, though, too. I mean, I get it. I get it. But I mean, he he was five for 19 with six turnover or five assi- or six but, assists like, and five turnovers. But that finger was clearly causing issues for his handle since the game he returned. Like it, it was I, I have a hard time looking at Fox at all. To me, saying. I don't look at this and go, oh, Sabonis can't be a playoff player. I look at it and go, same thing I said all season. They don't have enough size. They don't have enough rim protection. And they yeah, still I mean, got the they still got the Warriors to game yeah, but, seven. Yeah, but like how like how, where do you find rim protection that can also space the floor next to Sabonis if he's not going to be your spacer? Like it's a it's a roster problem when when he's being treated like Ben Simmons in the half right. court. Right. And now that's the that's the goal. You got to go. They, they they get a lot of work to do. That that that's all. They got a gotta lot of find, work to do. Find the best fit, but I mean he's still an outstanding player. He's good. I mean, I had I had him I had him third team All NBA. Uh, I don't regret that. I'm very happy. I had Fox fifth on my MVP ballot. Um, I considered Sabonis for that. I'm happy that I went with Fox. I felt like the first round, you know. I mean, granted, it's a regular season award. Um, Fox is is the guy there in Sacramento. He's the engine. And uh, the Warriors, I will just say, have made a lot of people look bad over the last ten years. Of course, and, and that's that's part of it. <laughs> like, where like you get, I mean, Stephen Curry looking as amazing as he ever has. Um, yeah, but, but like you, you said at the beginning, though, I mean, what makes that Steph performance so remarkable as well is just how much his teammates did not, you know, shoot the ball well. Clay had such a poor night shooting the ball. You know, outside outside of really that, you know, that two point pull up that he had fading out of bounds. If only Clay could take all of his shots like that. Well, I mean, look, it was it was not exactly that. That first quarter was played so well. And then from then on, Fox, 5 of 19. Herder, 2 for 9. Oh, Harrison, Herder was horrible. Harrison Barnes, nothing. Malik Monk, even, who was great during this series, 4 for 14. I mean, was, it was just a mess. Why? I mean, look, I know Terrence Davis had a pretty solid game 6, but I could not believe the lack of Davion Mitchell out there when Davis was just getting roasted by Steph. I know everybody gets ro- roasted by Steph. Marcus Smart, the DPOI last year, got roasted in the finals. Everybody gets roasted by Steph. But Davion Mitchell does a better job than Terrence Davis does. Yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah, I know. They, I just it, like they went away from playing small more often. It just, yep. it just felt like they they forgot some of the things that got them there. Um, but you know, here we are. I guess Warriors. I think it was. And, I think it was Looney bullied him out of it. Honestly, the guy got every friggin' rebound. Kevin. Well, I mean, it didn't matter it who was, was out just there. Crazy. It didn't matter. Like it didn't matter I know. if it was Sabonis. It didn't matter if it was Sabonis's father. Lo- Looney was getting those rebounds. No, that's right. And you're probably better off not to try to fight fire with fire and get a little bigger. Instead, maybe go super small. Yeah. And and test and test it like that, which certainly worked in, in, in segments and worked in game six. Still a great and, year for the Kings. Still an amazing season. And, you know, uh, really tip your cap to them for the year that they had. It was a very good year for them, for sure. Now, the Warriors are going to move on and they're going to play the Lakers by virtue of destroying the Grizzlies in a game six. Um, <laughs> how, how you, well, let me just ask you first, Chris, how are you feeling? You know, how are you feeling? I, I am one of those that. And I think you, as a sports fan uh, growing up, knows that to me, and I brought this up when we were talking about the Warriors discussion, to me, the game I will remember is game four, much like I think Kings fans will, because you're sitting there going, would it have been a different world if 
with because because you don't have to think long. With six seconds left, you need to get one stop. And if you get one stop, you're two two. I mean, at best, you're playing a game seven on your home, or at worst, you're playing a game seven on your home floor. If you get a stop, there's and six seconds LeBron, left in the game. LeBron drives by Tillman, right, and then throws it up over. Jaron Jackson, which you could see the still shot. That I mean, it's an inch. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable an amazing layout. shot. Yeah. But that's the one. It, I, I won't even remember. I mean, I'll remember them getting slaughtered, but it's always the ones that you feel like you could have gotten that rack your brain forever. It's not the ones that... It, 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 like the same thing is with, like say, even last year when they lost to the Warriors. Same thing. Game four. They're up. They've got it. They've got it. They've got game four in the fold. And they shoot themselves out of it. And next thing you know, instead of having that commanding lead, now you're ended up having to play a game six on the road in a closeout situation against the Warriors. And so I don't even. How are you feeling, though? You haven't haven't answered that question. How are you feeling? After the, are you crushed at all? Are you disappointed? Or like, where are you at? You know, mentally. Not how are you after, not after the media sessions. Honestly, you know, you never know how those oh, are going to go. Oh, with Dylan Brooks skipping out and all that. No, 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 no. They did the exit interviews. You know, you have your yeah, yeah. team media day yeah, at the end for sure, of course. And so you listen to Zach Kleiman, the GM, and you listen to all the different players, and you listen to their plans for the off season. You listen to how they think about things. And, you know, there's, it, it, and honestly, like, it, there's a finality to that when they're talking about the season that was. And there was such disappointment. There was such, um, it was almost like, to me, when you get blasted that bad, you can't convince yourself that you're close. You know what I mean? When you get blasted that bad. And so it almost becomes, a better agent for change than if you feel like nobody was sitting there saying, well, if they had Steven Adams and they had Brandon Clark and they had, you know, and if John doesn't bang up his wrist and like none of that. And if Luke Kennard doesn't get hurt, like uh, they had, they had excuses as to why their team became what their team became. And guys that would have never gotten playoff minutes ended up playing way too many playoff minutes. They used absolutely none of those. And said basically, like that we we are going to treat this differently. Um, I think you're not going to hear the yapping out of the Grizzlies anymore. I think they were all humbled, humiliated, and everything else. And I think that they will go and build a better team around John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson. And go from there. Their three best players are twenty three and twenty four, right? Well, I mean, Respectful. it's enc- it's encouraging to hear that they were humiliated because they should yeah. be after yeah. that season. Jaw saying, "Oh, we're fine in the West." Right. Dylan Brooks, you know, painting himself as a villain and dressing up like Stone Cold, and and then saying, "Oh, the media and the fans uh, are, are are making me out to be the villain." I'm, I'm not a villain, and then not talking to the media. The lack of accountability from Dylan Brooks was absolutely abhorrent. And oh, from- look, I, look, I, and you know this, never once in two years have I defended that guy. No, no, not once. You, you, like, <laughs> like I've, you I've been begging for him to not I be know. on the team. 
I knew what happens. I'll give that to you. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do think, you know, for me personally, Chris, it was sweet to see the Lakers take down the Grizzlies after our conversations back in March, the live show in L.A., you know, you said, I'm not going to be scared of the Lakers. In fairness, I didn't. <laughs> Steven Adams had just worked out in L.A. I, I thought he was going to be on the team. Yeah. I thought. Uh, that the, I, the Grizzlies aren't using excuses. You shouldn't either, Chris. I, uh, well, at the time, it was a different team. <laughs> you would fair to say. You conveniently use them, right? Like, so, hey, De'Aaron Fox vomited all over himself. He's hurt. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. They, but, would, they, would, they would have beat him with Adams, too. But, three, but no. I no mean, how, about, I, how, about, just, how about three of their top seven no, players? But, but it, it was personally satisfying Wait, to see the, the Lakers. The Lakers are all team, teams. Is there any team that could lose three of their top seven players and beat them? Come on. Come on. Be honest I mean, they, they, would have, they would have beat him with him anyway. I mean, li- literally, you you just you, you had a full-blown erection typing your love letter to the Lakers that you wrote, and now that's going to last about a week at, until the Warriors blast them. Oh, so now you think the Warriors are going to beat the Lakers. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, but anyway, no, I think, I think you know, when it came to Lakers-Grizzlies, you know, it really did pan out to be true, uh, what we talked about at the beginning of the series, which you expressed some, you know, skepticism about about how they have this, that trade deadline for them is why they're in the position now to face the Warriors in the second round, where it's Rui Hachimura one night, it's Austin Reeves another night, it's D'Angelo Russell in that game seven, 31 points. I mean, that game six, it's it's a different guy every single night for the Lakers. They just have a plethora of options coming off their bench within their rotation now that it doesn't always need to be LeBron James or Anthony Davis, and yet, you know, as you mentioned, that game four, it can be LeBron when it needs to be. We see with Anthony Davis when he's yelling and screaming and, you know, he's got the intensity turned on. He can be the best player on the floor, which he was through the series. He was the best defensive player at times. He was the best offensive force. Um, it's going to be interesting this next round with how the Warriors will defend LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I would think you have Looney defend AD and you have Draymond defend LeBron. Uh, a lot of the time, but I look forward to seeing how those teams match up. Like who defends Stephen Curry on the Lakers side of things? Is it is it Vanderbilt? Is it Dennis Schroeder chasing him around with his unlimited energy? Like I just wonder. You know, well, that's a huge guys. one. That's a huge one with the AD thing. I mean, because you got to imagine that they're going to get physical with him, um, whether it is Draymond or whether it is Looney, and we'll see how he responds. I mean. It's a better option than Xavier Tillman, who was playing in the G League earlier this year. I mean, so <laughs> it's a position that Memphis was in having to go up against the guy. I mean, that was my greatest concern. My greatest concern was Anthony Davis. And he turned it on enough games. He floated through a couple of those. And I do not think he's going to be able to float against the Warriors without, without no. it. Like he's, I think he has to be great. Yeah, against I mean, the Warriors, he he's got to be in you know full on twenty twenty mode. Yeah, is Darvin Ham a good coach now after they slaughtered the Grizzlies or not? I don't know. I mean, we'll oh, find we out. Don't know. And we'll find out. I mean, I think Ham made some good adjustments throughout that series, um, but you know, we'll find out. Well, I know it'll be his fault, or it'll be Anthony Davis's fault. Um, 
You really think yeah. the Lakers are going to beat the Warriors? I mean, what are you talking about? Not necessarily. No. I mean, it could it could be anybody's fault. But Ham, Ham in that game six made good decisions. He pulled Beasley and Brown, and he put Hachimura on Bain, and Schroeder got more minutes. There was, there was like some, you know, pretty good adjustments in there. And then with LeBron James in the first half, LeBron's moving off ball. He's cutting to the rim. He's screening. He's... You know, he didn't, it, it was just, it was good, subtle adjustments that Ham made for games. Oh, they were, they were amped up. They just beat their ass. Yeah, they did. But no, the Lakers Warriors, do I think the Lakers will beat the Warriors? Yes, I do. I think you the Lakers, will, Lakers in six is my prediction. Oh, wow. Even with the Warriors having home court advantage. Yeah, I mean, like Warriors, so little rest. That, that's one knock against them. Like for them, they, they finish off Sacramento in seven games, then they're playing in, you know, 54 hours. Um, not a lot of time off. Uh, Lakers, you know, same thing with the Memphis that we were just talking about, the amount of options and depth that they have. Like, Pool was barely, you know, on the floor. Warriors have questions in their rotation that the Lakers just don't. I told my buddy that uh, they should, both both coaches should just agree, and I think they probably would agree to this deal, that they're just going to let Pool and D'Angelo Russell go outside and play one-on-one while the game is going on. Like the rest <laughs> of them will all go decide the series. Nope. And those two guys could just go out back and play one-on-one against each other and take whatever shot they want to take. I'll take D'Lo on that. <laughs> you take D'Lo over Bull? Yeah. yeah, no doubt it'd about it. A, it'd be a war. It would be a war. <laughs> between the, Just let them go do whatever they want to do out back yeah. <laughs> while everybody else decides the game inside. I still like D'Lo. I mean, I know D'Lo makes some bonehead mistakes. Um but I don't know. I just, I just, I just like D'Lo. There's so I've always liked D'Lo going back to Ohio State. I don't know why. I just always well, liked D'Lo. Well, look, and I get to come by this honest because you asked me all throughout the year who scares you the most, and I told you I would not bet. I'm not betting against Curry, Clay, and Draymond until they I understand. Lose. Yeah, I understand. Until they lose, like I'm gonna have to see them dead to <laughs> to believe that they got knocked out when they're I all mean, three. The- that that Healthy. is the tough part. Like a lot of the time, also you want to pick the the team with the best player in the series. Steph, sure as hell, looks like the best player in the series. Well, and we're gonna get a lot of the LeBron Steph stuff here, aren't we? Yeah. This I mean, is oh, it's gonna be a war when it comes to the all the debate shows and LeBron. God Steph forbid. Five. God forbid Steph get another ring, and 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 also this time, I know that LeBron is older now, but. Uh, who is the who is the Warriors' second best player? If me and you were drafting, if we're Clay drafting, Thompson, I'd so I, I mean Clay Clay or Andrew Wiggins, I think you still take if you're drafting. Um, but Kevon Looney was the second best player in the first round. If we're ranking based off what just happened, and I'd but probably it, take Draymond. Like if I'm just trying to win a series. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're just trying to win a series or a single game, you probably go Draymond. I, I guess your answer depends on the situation. Is it for the full duration of the regular season? Is it Look, to win a game? Is it, hey, you know? Here's what we'll say, though. It's clearly nowhere close to having Anthony Davis. Yeah. And oh, that's sure. going to be the thing, right? Yep. Like, LeBron's got the better teammate right now. Yep. But LeBron, Curry's had a better, got, but he's three years younger. Yeah, but Lebr- LeBron does have probably the better, like, Two to six, two to seven. If you're really stacking them up. Oh, no. I'm, I'm saying overall, like two to seven. Two On to the eight. strength of Davis. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like like two to seven, two to eight, all of them. Like if you're saying the Warriors three is better than the Lakers three, the Warriors four is better than the Lakers four. But I'm saying 
the Lakers five is better. The Lakers six is better. Lakers seven is better. Lakers eight is better. And then their two is better. It's going to be interesting to see who is, who are the guys that contribute in this? Because, you know, these, these series are all different. So inevitably, there's going to be some guys that contribute in this one that maybe didn't contribute as much in the last one for whatever reason, right? Yeah. They've got a place in this series that maybe they didn't have in the last one. So maybe Malik Beasley, who didn't have a big game in that series, might have a big game in this one. Or mm-hmm. maybe there's a DiVincenzo night or a Moody night or a Kaminga, whatever, right? Like, there's going to be different guys that are stepping up. Um, but Curry is, I mean, that's, I mean, I just watched him drop 50 on the road in a game seven against the, you know, a team that, Hadn't been to the playoffs in 17 years. Like, I mean, it's that performance was so freakish, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you do? Everybody's trying to stop him. And it's like, he's, it's hard to say he's not at his apex when you watch that. And we know very well, neither LeBron or Davis are at their apex right now. But likewise, Clay Thompson's not at his. My God, I thought Clay was going to go like two for 30 in that game. Just couldn't make a shot. What do you end up in the first half? Like one for 11? <laughs> Stephen A. Smith does so funny. They went back and he's like, that cap was horrible <laughs> or whatever. He's just scratching him. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I don't know. I do think that um, these are two teams that I've covered series watching Memphis play against the the last two years and uh you know that golden state team it's just as as series evolve they seem to figure it out and like i said at the beginning i don't care what seed they get i'll bet against them when they lose that that triumphant when they've been healthy has not lost in so long and so I got the Warriors, you got the Lakers in that one. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. The Easter Conference series, the other one that we need to talk about is seeing 
game one already of Heat versus the Knicks. I was surprised with the outcome, Kevin. I was. Yeah, and now and now Brunson like questionable for game two. That's scary. Not for great. New York. No, it's bad news. The, not great. And this heat thing is just crazy. I mean, we watched them lose to Atlanta and <laughs> maybe not be a playoff team. They were <laughs> on the cusp of maybe not being in the playoffs to now have knocked off the Bucks and are already up one zip on the Knicks. Now, they got their own thing to worry about with the Jimmy Butler rolled ankle. And we'll see how fast he heals. And he wasn't coming out of that game. That was for sure. But he was a shell of himself after. How did the Knicks not attack him? That was bizarre. They, they, like, they did nothing to go at him. Maybe even, Tibbs just loves him that much. They, I mean, but Tibbs was after asked after the game, like, was there any thought, you know, to going after him? And he's like, well, we tried to get him involved in actions, but he's a good player who does things. It's like, what? Like, yeah. after he got hurt at the five-minute mark, they didn't, they didn't even bring him into an action for two minutes. And then the play after they did bring him into an action, like, they got Brunson switched on Butler. They don't give the ball back to Brunson. The next play, they R.J. Barrett brings the ball up the floor. Butler's defending him, and then they bring in Josh Hart to screen Jimmy Butler to get Butler off Barrett. It was just like, this is a team that's just going through the motions right now, and they, I don't know, it was just extremely frustrating, you know, from that perspective watching. I, I'd be, I would have been like screaming at the TV if I were a Knicks fan. And on that other side, you know, sometimes it can make people roll their eyes when they talk about the heat culture, or Pat Riley's always be competing. We always compete, but I mean, Damn if it doesn't show up because we watched Capella turn into friggin' Wilt Chamberlain against him in that first playoff game. And we and all year we talked about like, man, this is what they don't have. They ain't got bigs. There's a lot of like the Sacramento problem. It's like, man, they don't really have the big guys when it comes. They got Bam and he's kind of there by himself. But now we've watched them go up against Milwaukee, who had Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And now you see him. Mitchell Robinson, this would be a big advantage, right? Having Mitchell Robinson, because there's nobody that can match his size. And just Rottweilers, man. They compete so hard, and they're boxing this guy out, and you can't help but just I, I, I honestly lose your mind if, if you're a Cavs fan thinking about that Kevin Love thing, because it's not like you could sit around and say, well, how would he have helped us? Because you're literally seeing him play the team that wiped you out, <laughs> right? Like, how would he help you? Like, worse, you're watching him against the team that wiped you out. And he's useful. And those, like, box outs, rebounds, outlet passes. Holy mackerel. It's those like these little-ass so cool. things, right? These little things that stand out, like the love outlet passes, the Kyle Lowry just, I mean, ferociousness. Just like, I'm I'm not losing. I'm uh, If it means I've got to switch on to you and then block shot. Four blocks. Four blocks, steals. L Lowry was great. Like, he had, he, had the, uh, he forced the jump ball on a Brunson drive in the fourth quarter. He's, I mean, they got so many guys. Caleb Martin. 
I love Caleb Martin on defense. Like that dude, you watch him. Like keep your eyes on Caleb Martin for some possessions. That dude just locks in moving laterally. He's tough. He's strong. He, you know, you got him defending Jalen Brunson a lot of the time in that game. Sometimes he's defending quickly. I mean, he's I mean, he's just such a nice player off that bench. Even even Cody Zeller. He comes in for eight minutes. And he played pretty good pick and roll defense. He kind of stabilized things for them, like up and down the roster. They just got a bunch of tough, strong, smart Crazy. players. Crazy, just they're built for sixteen games, and they're without hero. Yeah, I mean they weren't even that good this season. Like last season, they're the number one seed, but they didn't have a very good season this year. I mean, hell, they were one game away from not being a playoff team, and now. We look at them, and here they are. And you mentioned IQ. Kevin, you could guard him at this point. What has happened? This guy was like a game changer, especially the second half of the season. A game changer. He has just been brutal in the playoffs so far. They wiped out Cleveland, but it wasn't his help. I don't know. I don't know what's happened with him. But this is not a good first time through for uh, for quickly for sure. No, They're gonna they, they need him. They need him to be that guy. Uh, now it's showing up, and they need him to be the guy that they had during the regular season because he hadn't been close to the guy they had during the regular season. And especially when you're talking about that depth that Miami brings off, like guys that are contributing, guys that are doing something for him, like a guy that I think you you voted for him, right? Six man of the year. Quickly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and 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 nobody bats an eye at that for anybody that voted it quickly because of the season that he had. But like he's gotta be that guy during this. He's gotta he's gotta show back up and turn back into that player because otherwise it's gonna be tough sledding. And now you're talking about the Brunson thing, obviously the Butler thing's hanging out there. I do think it's going to be back and forth, and I, I'd be surprised if Miami wiped them out and vice versa. I don't want to overreact too much to a game one, but it certainly was cause for pause for them to be able to walk into that environment in game one and come away with a win. Absolutely. Because uh, that's just, I mean, that's good basketball for sure. And that's, I think, I actually think that is going to be a fun series. And I would imagine that the Knicks will make some probably crucial adjustments and be able to bounce back. Yep. Um, yeah, that's what I'd guess. Um, we are recording this prior to the Suns and the Nuggets game two. So we will certainly cover all Suns Nuggets talk uh, in our podcast later this week. Yes. We're missing missing con- conversation about the first two games tonight. But game three isn't until Friday night. So we're going to cover all that series on the upcoming show. All of it. But you can also hear me talk with Tate Frazier about it on Beyond the Arc, um, which is on the Through the Ringer podcast feed or on FanDuel TV, which we're recording tonight post-game. Perfect. Thank you to our executive producer, Jesse Lopez. As always, Kevin, I'll talk to you later this week. Looking forward to it. Have a good week.